We love nature. We love being in nature. We know how much nature nourishes us. And yet, most of us live in a high-tech world. From our mobile devices to our computers at home, from large screen TVs to appliances to a fast, automated work environment, our technical advances are screaming for our attention. They often do make our lives much more convenient, but do they make us better humans too? You're listening to An Organic Conversation, your show on everything that makes life worth living. I'm Helge Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Today we are discussing a new documentary that is taking a look at our origins as humans, the beauty and intimacy of our relationship with the natural world, and the place of nature in our lives in a time of technology. Love thy nature, understanding the source of our humanity. Today on An Organic Conversation. But first, here's our week's review. Thank you, Helga. Well, actually, our week's review is a review of a letter that we got from a listener, which is so exciting to hear the thoughts and the feedback of the people who tune into the show. And Samantha, who is a passionate organic gardener and gardens garlic, wrote to us to share some upgrades on our storage <laughs> tips for garlic that we featured in a recent episode. So Sam, thank you so much. Sam said that based on what we covered in What's in Season, we are totally on point that garlic should be kept dry. But she recommends not chilling it in the refrigerator because when you hit temperatures of 55 degrees or lower, it actually triggers your garlic to sprout and the sprouting reduces the flavor. She also said that when we talked about garlic and braids and how very frequently they're used ornamentally, that they are much more than just used for decoration because hanging your garlic in braids from your ceiling or from your rafters is a smart way to keep them dry and warm because the top area of your home doesn't get too cold because the heat rises. So she wrote us just to share these tips and saying, don't waste a good batch of garlic that's braided because you think it's ornamental. And also don't be disappointed by chilling your garlic to the point where it sprouts prematurely. So Sam, we are all so grateful and enlightened and anybody who has any tips or experiences with any of the things we talk about on air, please do send us an email. Yeah, don't waste a good braid of garlic because you listen to an organic conversation. (laughs) (laughs) No, we love that. We have gotten quite a few emails from uh, dog walks after shows from Scotland Big shout out to that family, as well as listeners uh, helping us make this show better and contribute to the collective consciousness. It's just amazing what's out there, the knowledge and experience that people have. So please um, continue to do so. You can contact us through anorganicconversation.com or facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation for any comment or inspiration or thank yous we well receive all of it. Mm -hmm. Yes, we do. (laughs) Our topic in this hour is love thy nature, understanding the source of our humanity. While technology has the clear goal to make our lives easier and more convenient and connects us all digitally, there seems to be a price that we pay by embracing automation and a high-tech world. We actually move further away from nature. What is the consequence of this disconnect and how important is nature in our lives? What is truly its role in place and what is our relationship to it? Is it time for a biological revolution in which nature is placed back into the center of our thought processes, our goals and achievements? Today we are speaking with the filmmaker of a new documentary about the importance to love thy nature, understanding the source of our humanity. But before we dive into this topic fully, as always, here's an update from the world of health and beauty, Sitarani Palomar and her holistic bite. Mm, Thank you, Helga. 
Well, recently I was on a cleanse and frequently when I do cleanses and when a lot of people do cleanses, I cut out wheat just because it's one of those inflammatory type foods or it just doesn't allow for things to move as freely. And a lot of people are going gluten-free these days, whether it's because it reduces inflammation in the body and helps to manage pain or simply gives their system a break. So what I wanted to do was spend a little time sharing my favorite tips for how to go wheat-free successfully. And I'm going to start by highlighting the grain because when you cut out your wheat and gluten, that's the first thing that's triggered is grains and flours. And millet, quinoa, buckwheat, and rice are all gluten-free, wheat-free grains. Buckwheat is kind of funny because it has wheat in the title, but it is a wheat-free grain. And oats get somewhat of a bad reputation because they usually say that they are not wheat-free. That is because they are frequently processed in a facility that also processes wheat. So you can get gluten-free oats, so you can still enjoy your oatmeal. Every one of those grains make great flours. There are two additional flours that you can use when you're doing wheat-free and gluten-free baking. That's sorghum and garbanzo, which I prefer over some of the blends like the potato starch and the tapioca because those are more refined. They just don't have as much complex carbohydrate and healthful properties. And speaking of complex carbohydrates, just because you're going wheat-free doesn't mean that you're cutting out this important macronutrient, your complex carbohydrates. You can still get them from lentils and beans. As far as condiments go, I always buy tamari as opposed to soy sauce because tamari is soy sauce just without the wheat. And that way, if I'm ever in a wheat-free mode or having wheat-free guests over, my, my pantry staples are also wheat free if I make sure that I keep myself stocked with tamari. Brown rice pasta is my favorite wheat-free pasta alternative. And there is a brand out there that even has an energy saver method that when you bring the water to boil, you just turn it off and let the pasta sit in the cooking water as opposed to keeping it boiling. And this not only saves energy, but it is also a, a foolproof way to make sure that these gluten-free noodles stay al dente. As far as snacking goes, spice nuts are a great alternative to pretzels and baked goods, as is fruit. Eggs make a wonderful binder when you're doing gluten-free and wheat-free baking, as does a flax combination. So if you're doing a vegan gluten-free or wheat-free, you can use a flax concoction there. And just enjoy more vegetables and protein. You can make skewers and grilled antipasto platters and soups and stir fries. And also feel free to experiment with homemade sauces so everything still tastes fun and original. Pesto, chimichurri, I love a coconut-based curry or chipotle tomato sauce. And finally, when you eat out, you might want to favor cuisines like Asian and Mexican because these are rice and corn-based cuisines. So they're really good bets for eating out. When you do go out for Asian cooking, though, because some of their sauces tend to have wheat or soy sauce in them, just make sure to ask in advance and get a side of tamari. You should be good to go. That's this week's Holistic Bite. Thank you, Sita. That's Chef Sita, a.k.a. Sitarani Palomar. It's a complex world, and so are your <laughs> carbohydrates. carbohydrates. I love it. <laughs> Yeah, really helpful. It's interesting how, you know, just 10 years ago, being wheat-free in the world was really difficult, maybe mm. maybe impossible. And not just because of the options, but also because of the education that's out oh, there now yeah. and the sensitivity around it. It's much easier if somebody wanted to test it for a month or two. If they are not clear about their wheat sensitivity eventually or just don't like it as, an, as a triggering allergen possibility sure. in your diet. Thank you. Really great tips. Thank you. You're listening to An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Helber. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And what's coming up is a conversation about the wisdom inherent in nature, the complexity there, and the importance of approaching all of Earth's challenges, even and especially through technological solutions, by using nature and nature's design as the guide and ultimate goal. Love Thy Nature, Understanding the Source of Our Humanity, Our Topic Today, an amazing new documentary, and we have the filmmaker here in the studio with us. That and more when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. 
Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family-owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topic in this hour is Love Thy Nature. Understanding the Source of Our Humanity, a new documentary that is taking a close look at the origins of our human beingness, the beauty and intimacy of our relationship with the natural world and the place of nature in our lives in a time of technology. And we are joined today by the filmmaker of this amazing new documentary, Love Thy Nature, Sylvie Rokab, who is an Emmy-nominated, award-winning documentary filmmaker with over 20 years of experience, really embracing the universality in her filmmaking as she seeks to inspire a truly global audience. This matters to all of us. Welcome, Sylvie, for being in the studio Thank with us. Thank you very much for having me Wonderful. here. It's a pleasure being here. <laughs> oh, it's our pleasure for sure. <laughs> so, Sylvie, I am putting myself back in the moment of seeing the film for the first time, which was so deeply moving for me. And we're going to get into a lot of the reasons why that is the case throughout this conversation. But I want to start by acknowledging that there are so many places in the film that depict our deep connection and our interdependency on nature. And I'm hoping that you can say a little bit in your own words just how extreme and deeply rooted this connection is. You know, it's always fascinating to me to think of it this way. It's like, not only in our evolution, we're really a species that came out of like so many other species. We're very young in our, in terms of like how, how, how much time we've had on this planet as a species by itself. And on the film, we have scientists that actually share with us about the fact that not only do we share 99% of our DNA with chimpanzees, but even with trees, we share 25% of our DNAs with trees. And so, you know, there's that aspect of it, but there's also the sense of like, everything about us is nature. I mean, we're here having a conversation and, you know, the blood is flowing in our veins. The cells in our bodies are are behaving in an autonomous way. We have no control, really, about everything that's happening physically. Our neurons are firing up with ideas and we're talking with each other. Our digestive system is working its way with our coffee and our water. And it's like all of this stuff is happening in the same way that things are (laughs) happening in an ecosystem. Mm. So it's like we are nature in a physical Mm. kind of a way. But also, like, when you think of, like, how we feel, when we leave our busy offices, our busy lifestyles, and allow ourselves to kind of dive into the world of nature, whether it's actually going swimming in the ocean or, you know, catching waves or whether it's like climbing a mountain or connecting with a wild animal, whatever it might be for anybody, there's something that happens to us and we have a deep sense of peace. So I think that we all kind of yearn for those experiences and we forget in our Mm. busy world to reconnect. And some of those experiences are deliberate or intentional and others happen with every breath, literally. There's this uh, image that I have from the film where we breathe in what trees just breathed out, right? right? Trees breathe out oxygen and we breathe in oxygen and we breathe out carbon dioxide that is then taken in by the tree again and we right. convert it again into oxygen. So the cycle, we, with every breath, we are taking in what trees just gave us and we feed them right back. Exactly. So it's not even just that we, you know, often when we talk about nature, it's how much nature has left our lives, but nature is as dependent on us beings that keep breathing otherwise trees wouldn't survive that's that's an amazing (laughs) dual responsibility there for both sides yeah i mean you know it's one of the things that we actually explore in the film is the fact that it's like we're really scientists are really getting to realize what we've already known intuitively for thousands of years which is the fact that it's all interconnected and 
you know, a biologist or an evolutionary biologist, when he or she looks at nature, realizes that every species, every part of nature, whether it's a rock or the water, everything has a role to play, so to speak, in this dance of interconnectedness. And so we as a mammal, we also have something that we're playing, whatever it might be. You know, we might say, well, we're being the destructive species of our time. But we also have an amazing capacity for creativity and innovation and self-reflection and wonder and awe. We are reflecting to the universe what the universe is presenting to us. So what a magnificent species we are. When you think of it that way, there's certainly a role to be played here. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating that most of the time it's us and then there's nature and how can we bring that back in? You are approaching your film, and I hear in your words now, life itself really as, of course, as a part of nature, there's no question about us and nature, really, right? It's, right. We, are, we are as much part of nature as any wolf, any tree, any, any living thing Absolutely. or non-living thing even. Right. This is one planet that we all share. Exactly. And the stars above it. Well, I feel like we're dancing around a topic that Helga and I had quite a bit of discussion about, and that is the title, Love Thy Nature. Mm. Because we had so many responses to that title and what it meant to us and all of the different things it meant to us. So right. instead of getting into what our reflections are, we wanted to ask you, <laughs> what does the title Love Thy Nature mean to you? I love this question, and I get it a lot, especially when I take the film. You know, we've been in film festivals around the world, and people really get confused when they don't really understand the terminology. But <laughs> it's like Love Thy Nature has many meanings, and I think that that's why I was, you know, I had this download of, like, this is mm. supposed to be the title. Of course, there is the most obvious thing about, you know, loving nature as we see it, there's also, like, in our common language, we talk about, you know, my nature is one of kindness or whatever it might be. So we have our inner nature. So it's really ultimately also loving ourselves and also the sense of, like, well, nature and ourselves are not different. And so I like the idea that this is blending. And there's also, I mean, we can elaborate in so many ways. There's also <laughs> the sense of, like, well, the universe has given us all these amazing gifts of creation and the planet Earth has given us all these gifts of beauty and immersion and diversity and synchronicities and all of those things. And you, so you can say that we could be also making an homage. Mm -hmm. It's like love thy nature. It's like I'm loving your nature, you know, the one that you have created, whatever you is, whatever anybody's belief might be, whatever religions they are, or spiritual backgrounds, it doesn't really matter. You know, ultimately, it's about there is some kind of universal energy at force that's creating all of this. So there are many, many meanings. I think, you know, <laughs> that's a great question. I, I should ask this to audience members mm. that you're giving me an idea. I'd like to ask this to what it means to other people. Yeah, beautiful. And I love that you finished with kind of this religious or religion and, and spiritual aspect. Because for me, when I read that, um, English being my second language, really having grown up in Germany, thy is often used term in in spiritual context or in religious context, right? Mm -hmm. Thy, thy mm -hmm. will shall be done. Right. So for me, this kind of touched on the most fundamental humanness of all, including religion and transcending religion. But really, if you look at religion and, and spirituality, really intentionally for me now putting those together, nature and a reverence for what, what is being created, whatever you believe, who created it and why and how, is part of really every every um, you know organized or non-organized belief system. There is an amazing world out there, however exactly it got there, whatever you may personally believe. But our responsibility is to love that and mm -hmm. understand that we are part of it. That's Absolutely, really, we have to come to a place where we love that. Yeah, and you know, at the very beginning, I myself and some colleagues of mine, as I was bouncing off ideas of whether this title was right or not right. There was some concern, even on my part, is that going to feel preachy? Is that going to feel like religious? Is that going to feel weird to have a title like that? But, 
you know, ultimately, I think that it's, you know, it's... <laughs> yes, it's, yes, and yes. <laughs> and that's a good thing. <laughs> it might be good in the sense that, like, controversy <laughs> creates, generates mm. talk and conversation, right? But at the same time, it's kind of like, it just felt so right. And I'm a big believer that nobody really knows how this whole design comes about. We might think we feel intuitively or we might follow books, religious books or spiritual books, but... Each human being on this planet has its own perspective of what it means of how creation did its thing. But the one thing that we all can agree and have in common is that we realize that nature is the biggest manifestation of creation in mm -hmm. all its different ways. And we can see that by the beauty of mountains or the, the, uh, the power of these incredible African animals or the incredible emotionality of seeing a baby being born with a family around witnessing, it doesn't really matter. All of these things are creation. And, you know, regardless of people's perce perception or beliefs, it's really ultimately about honoring and respecting. But it's more than respecting. It's actually just celebrating this capacity that the world has of regenerating itself and of creating life. We're speaking with Sylvie Rokab, the director and filmmaker of a new documentary, Love Thy Nature, who's joining us today here in the studio. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Hilberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. And we want to hear about from you, Sylvie. The, the film seemingly took you all around the world, and different scientists from really different areas describe this indescribable really relationship or we're making an attempt to describe that relationship that we have from a biological perspective, from a biomimicry perspective, what it means to us and where it's its place in our life. And we want to talk about that when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned for more. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. And we're back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Hilberg. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topic in this hour is Love Thy Nature, Understanding the Source of Our Humanity, a new documentary that it's making its way now, right now, throughout the country and beyond, hopefully into a movie theater near you. We have the filmmaker with us, Sylvie Rokop. The film takes you or takes the viewer all around the world. Different people speak about this cathedral of nature that we, are, that we get to be a part of, the beauty, the the wonder, the amazingness of a birth, which is both so benign in a way, it's the most biological thing we can do. We get pregnant, we give birth. Mm -hmm. And yet anyone, of course, would describe it, whether you have been witnessing one or not, as a miracle. It's a complete miracle what right. nature is creating and is creating at every second. There are different scientists speaking about nature, both as a cathedral, as a place we get to be part of, and how it reverberates back into our lives And uh, they speak about a biological revolution that is necessary around biological design, also called biomimicry. Right. Where nature can inform us and make our lives better because we have kind of stopped looking. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. The idea of biomimicry has always been around one way or another because we have created planes that mimic birds and we have dug tunnels that mimic what moles create. And so in a way, we've always kind of looked at nature for some of our inventions. But since the Industrial Revolution, really, it seems like we have gone deeper and deeper and deeper into this place of like, we are smarter than nature, we can figure this out on our own. And what the latest discoveries uh, have been showing us is that, you know, looking at nature, especially at its nanostructure, 
we get to realize that it's like nature has invented and has really figured out just about any technological issue or, or challenge that we could ever possibly have and has done it in a way that is organic, that is sustainable, and that repurposes itself. And it's sort of like the planet has been around for 3.8 billion years, so it has kind of figured out how things need to work for it to be sustainable. So what scientists are doing is that they're looking now, they're starting to look at nature as how can we learn from this 3.8, these 3.8 billion years of genius There's something that we can learn here. And what the Biomimicry Institute and Biomimicry 3.8 and, you know, these thinkers behind these organizations are doing, it was created by Janine Benius in association with Dana Baumeister. And Dana is actually one of the scientists on our film and did an amazing job at explaining things that could be so complex in such simple words. And they created, you know, this, this educational facility where they go around the world giving workshops to scientists, not not just like technological scientists, but also like architects and doctors and all of these different fields that now are realizing you can look at nature for just about anything you might want to learn. I and mean, yeah, we had Janine Ben just on our show here on an organic conversation a few months back on biomimicry and from paints that mimic shark cartilage to make boats be more efficient, fuel efficient, to all kinds of other designs. Uh, it was an, an, an amazing interview. And so you're right, the world has tested these designs for three billion plus years in this natural laboratory. And even with technology, we can't even start to speed up to that intelligence that's, that's out there. And so in the evolution of humankind, which the movie really beautifully describes as You know, in a 24-hour day period, we are basically in the last second or a couple seconds that humans came onto the scene. And in our industrial revolution some hundred years ago or so, we looked at nature, we understood how air moves around a wing, and then we designed a plane, and that's where we left it. We basically took this first look at nature, and then our ego took over. And it's interesting um, if you you know, follow um, Jungian analysis, for example, how in the lifetime of a human being, you are born as your ego is part of yourself, and then the ego kind of detaches from self. And then in the later half of life, the ego is reintegrated. And it seems like even as mm -hmm. a country or as a society now, this reintegration of ego into the larger self of Earth is, is taking place right now, actually. Absolutely. You know, there's a couple of things that actually come to mind about this. This is fascinating stuff. First, Dana Baumeister on the film, she actually explained, like, if we were to take the 3.8 billion years of existence on the planet and we condense it into just one year so that the planet was born on January 1st, right after midnight, and we're standing here on December 31st, right before midnight, And so she explains where every uh, species, basically, or, you know, uh, flowers or, yeah. or dinosaurs, wherever they all are placed oh, in year, this one not a day, year. It's a year. Right? And so uh, the interesting thing is that Homo sapiens sapiens, we've been around for 23 minutes. Now, our civilization as we know it, so let's say the last 200 years, that we've been in our civilization, it corresponds within that whole year, it corresponds to just one second. So this is how young we are as a species. And going back to the, the question that you're asking about our egos and everything, when you look at how young we are as a species, right? One of the uh, experts on the film, Dwayne Elgin, he goes around the world with, you know, workshops and whatnot, and he asks audiences, if you were to evaluate uh, the human species, right, in terms of our wisdom level, what are we? Are we toddlers? Are we adolescents? Are we young adults? Are we middle-aged people? Are, are we <laughs> the elderly? Like, in terms of the such level of our wisdom. Question. I mean, it's kind of a little out there, but no, it's such a it good kind question. of makes sense. Sure. It's like, how, how, how wise are really? Are it's just we a feeling, really? right? What do we feel like? Right. What, what do you feel like? Yeah. So he says there's a consensus across <laughs> cultures, across nationalities, across races, We are adolescents in the way that we're behaving. We're driving fast cars, and we are mm. want to dissociate from our mothers, from our parents, and we just want to, 
you know, go as fast as we can, have that intense lifestyle. And, you know, what comes tomorrow, we're eternal. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to go anywhere. So, you know, that sense of like we can do anything we want. So maybe what's happening with this awakening, right? People in general across cultures, again, are realizing that there's more to this than just looking at the world around us as how can I make the best of it and how can I take advantage of it? It's like there's there's awakening that's happening that's about, okay, how can I contribute? You know, how can I make a difference? It's like there's even in terms of organizations, right, companies, corporations, we know our leaders are going through a really tough time across the world with all of these lobbies and economical and political systems. But when you really look at the companies that are progressive, you can see that they're putting profits at the same level of importance as social responsibility and ecological responsibilities. So many of us nowadays, especially here in California, right? We are a conscious society here. People are going to the supermarket and looking, what are the labels behind their food? You know, is it organic? Do we have fair trade? Is it forestry protected? You know, the little tree that tells you it was, uh, the, the paper was taken from a uh, sustainable forestry kind of a system instead of being stolen from the Amazon. So people are actually starting to look at this and corporations are joining the movement of consciousness. And so there's a lot of hope. The question is, how fast are we going to be able to switch to, okay, now it's a question of being, it's a mass consciousness, not just a few of us who are out there, progressive, who are fighting the system, but it's more like it's just how it is. And we've done this in history, uh, you know, the history of our civilization. We used to have a time where democracy didn't exist. When the Greeks came up with the idea of having the individual freedom, at the time it was revolutionary. How can we have a society with people having individual freedoms? It's, it's going to be chaotic. It's not going to work. So the system was justice was to hang somebody from, you know, a tree and cut their heads off. That was what justice was about. But you know, so we created democracy, we overcame slavery, you know, people just having different colors of skin, being enslaved in our backyards. You know, we've had an evolution. And so the next evolution is, okay, are we ready to give up the idea that we need to destroy nature? So I think that we're almost there. Yeah, amazing. When when you look at nature and design and beauty, when you look at nature and design and functionality, when you look at doing the same thing with a quarter of the energy it it is actually making us a better place it making it's making us more profit it, um, which is money that can go to better causes to education it is good all around it mm-hmm. is smart design it is wise design it is bringing nature back there's this utopian idea of a city where every roof of every car is solar and of course they're all electric right. and mm-hmm. there's an automatic car share program and um, it's interesting how we seem to be headed that way. And, right. you know, usually anything that anyone has ever dreamt of has kind of come true. Right? right. If you dream of a free country with where everyone is free and has rights, um, that has happened. And somebody had that idea that we can function without slavery, even though some people said that's economically a exactly. disaster. So um, these futuristic green cities where they're quiet and green and respectful is that your hope that you try to inspire with your movie? What's the What was the deepest motivation for you too? Well, you know, I think that uh, several things. I mean, certainly the idea that we can actually green our cities and make them completely sustainable and make them uh, places where children have uh, organic gardens in their in their schools and, you know, where we have parks in just about every block or sure. at least in every neighborhood where we can go and, you know, replenish ourselves during our lunch break. Or I mean, there's so many ways that we can integrate nature into our Mm -hmm. cities. It's also about encouraging. I really have had this strong desire from the time I was a little girl growing up in the mountains. Well, I grew up in the big city of Rio de Janeiro, but, you know, Rio is surrounded by mountains. And I've always had this thing that I want to share how cool nature is and how Mm. amazing and how delicious and how precious it is to spend time looking at animals or jumping in a river and like going down a slide with a waterfall. I mean, all these different experiences. So I want to encourage people to allow themselves to be 
nurtured and, and cared for and just sort of like immerse themselves in the world of nature because there's just nothing more satisfying, replenishing, and awe-inspiring. I mean, some of nature is scary, but gosh, you know, what a, an amazing adrenaline rush to be under a thunderstorm. And, and if we are other know, lessons, really, then we should behave yeah. like that in a children-like fun way, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think it's, it's a blast, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, to allow ourselves to sure. have these adrenaline-inducing mm. experiences. It's part of being human. Something additional that the film did for me, um, so in addition to inspiring the desire to get up and go into nature, the thing that, that was the biggest shift and the thing that I'm most grateful for is that I've, I think I've spent a good deal of my, I would say, more self-awareness time being a little bit regretful or guilt, feeling sh guilt or shame about what I or we as a society have created and how it's taking away from nature. What this film did for me was actually look at our intelligence as human beings and what we've created mm, yeah. and plant the seed that maybe that was the purpose. The intention was for us to amass a certain amount of intelligence and then give it back to the natural world. Mm. And it was just the right spark for me to look at this in a new way and feel inspired and encouraged and, and, and leave the film thinking about how do I do that? Where does that come in my world? Where is that going to come from other people's right. worlds? What are we yet to contribute based on what we've understood and amassed? And so as we talk about what shift has occurred for people um, through this film, I just wanted to share that because it was I'm the most so profound and unique thing I've had when watching a movie that deals yeah, with this subject matter. Just to tag on before you uh, comment on that, um, Sylvie, it's, uh, it's interesting. Many nature films are about here's nature and look what we've lost, or look why it's important to go back to it. Uh, you are celebrating a true, it's a celebration for life, right. really. Right? Including it's a, it's the a human. partnership, yeah. exactly. Yeah, bringing nature back as a natural part into your life, not we should protect it, we should spend time in it. It's really as much about our human nature as it is environmental nature that would people would understand right, right, right. watching an environmental movie beautiful and that it's really basically one and the same thing our human nature is our mm. internal nature of the outside nature natural environment that we usually call nature fascinating that you were able to bridge that in your movie thank you what was the favorite moment for you to film this Oh, gosh, there were very many, many, many. I do want to, to touch a point, but I, yes. can I come back yeah, to your yeah. question in a of minute? <laughs> I just wanted to say that I think that one of the things that I really wanted to do with the film is to dissolve that sense of guilt you were talking about, Sita, which was, it's natural for us to get, those of us who are nature lovers, environmentalists, or feel like we're connected with this movement, it's natural for us to feel extremely angry at what's going on. But at the same time, I feel like if we look at the big picture, we could have compassion. It's almost like maybe the Western mind, the Western civilization needed to detach, just like the adolescent needed to mm -hmm. detach in order to understand what we have known uh, intuitively for thousands of years. We needed to understand it scientifically, rationally. Now we can explain it logically. This interconnectedness is not just some woo-woo thinking that has no basis on reality. Now that we know that it's really the basis of reality and the sense of it's what we love, we protect. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. What I also hope that the film does is that the sense of like, if people really open their hearts, which I'm experiencing that audience members are really feeling very inspired and moved by the film, it's almost like you realize it's like, how can I not want to protect something that's this precious to my life and to our civilization, right? And to, of course, to the world itself as we know it. But the favorite, uh, there are many favorites, definitely, but just yesterday, I was remembering one of my favorites that uh, had me going and going and going. I went to Hawaii, and I, you know, our boat was right in the middle of a location where there were several ponds of dolphins, and it's it's like a small camera with like a water underwater casing, and I, I just had I wasn't even diving; I was just snorkeling with fins and the mask and whatnot, and just kind of following them around. I know I must have been like in that water for hours. And at some point the, later, the boat captain was telling me that he thought I was kind of an animal because I couldn't come back to the boat. I was so enamored with all these beautiful 
mammals that are so intelligent and you see them having a rapport with each other and they're like swimming around each other and they are, they, their faces turned to me a few times and they kind of were checking me out like, what are you about? Are you just here to hang out or what? <laughs> you know, no, they, maybe they I was knew. imagining, they but knew. I was just yeah. having this amazing can, yeah. sense, right? <laughs> <laughs> so they were like, I mean, it was just magical. I just loved it. It was really awesome. So that was one of my favorite moments I was remembering. Beautiful. And uh, to finally comment on, on something you just said a minute before, it's really the, the essence of the film for me is that you don't advocate for back to nature. You're advocating forward, forward to, to nature, nature. <laughs> yeah. which is really um, so different than any other movie. Right. Thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. It's Sylvie Rokab, the director of a new documentary that you shall not miss. It's called Love Thy Nature. In this hour of an organic conversation, understanding the source of our humanity. Thanks again for coming in. My Lovely pleasure. And I just want to quickly mention that we're going to be at the Raphael Film Center. And uh, so we're going to be right here in town. And that's Sunday, April 19th, April 19th. at 4.15 p.m. And uh, Jay Harmon and Brian Swim are going to be joining us. And, and for more viewings, of course, lovethynature.com right. for an entire film tour throughout the country <laughs> <laughs> and beyond, I heard. <laughs> lovethynature.com. Thanks so much for My being with pleasure. us. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you. We're staying with nature. We're diving into the world of yummy, yummy, organic produce. Nature on our palate. That's what's coming up here on an organic conversation. Stay tuned for more. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Love thy nature, understanding the source of our humanity, the beauty and intimacy of our relationship with the natural world. What perfect, perfect segue to the world of produce, the daily ritual of inviting nature back. Yummy organic produce onto your plate. What's in season? With our very own special guest, Earl Herrick. <laughs> He's now on the phone with us, the voice of the San Francisco produce market, Mr. Good Organic day. himself, Good Earl. Good day. Hey. Hello, Sita. Hi, Helga. How are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm really, really well. And I, I love this phrase you used just then in, in the introduction, was <laughs> inviting nature. I mean, it, I mean, that is so, I mean, to frame a meal in that way is such a perfect way uh, to, to enter into that. Thank you into that engagement. Yeah, it's really interesting because we the entire hour in the interview with the filmmaker of a new documentary Love Thy Nature, it's all about she she did a really great job of bridging, you know, it's not nature out there and we need to be in it and it has yeah. lost our lives, but kind of we are part of nature and it's not going back to nature but going forward to nature and through for example rituals and eating fresh produce is our most direct connection several times of the day. So, you know, even yeah. if you live in an office environment, I think if you can look at your plate of fresh vegetables and know this is as close to nature as you can right now, in addition to the cactus next to you in your office environment. <laughs> but really, that's it. It's, your, it's the vibrance on your plate. So, yes, you're welcome. And you are doing that for us 364 days of the year. I don't even know if Earl is ever closed, Earl's Organic Produce in San Francisco, but tell us what's going on at the produce stock. If you walk it right now, what is sticking out? What are we talking about this week? Yeah, well, as, as April comes to a close, you know, I grew up in Ohio, and it's very much April showers bring May flowers. What it is, it's, it's the showers, the irrigation that brings on the new life. And this is, I believe, the bestest of times mm -hmm. to be eating greens and those fresh, young edibles that are popping up. And uh, this year I, I, have a, I have a garden again, and I have arugula, and it is just like exploding out of this little space that I have. And the weather's been perfect. Uh, it, the nights are hardly chilly at all, and the days are not too warm. And that is the key to enjoy them now. I mean, greens we can get year-round. 
whether they're hothouse or they're out of season, so to speak, and they're coming up from Mexico. But right now, they are emerging, if you will. And so this, think of arugula. I mean, this arugula is so tender because it doesn't have to go through a hot day where the sun is blazing down and, and it's becoming bitter. It's a very perfect mild, and then it goes through this very just chilly enough evening to give it a little bit of sweetness. And so all the greens you can think of, and of course we can get chards and kales all year, and they have different characteristics throughout the year. Right now is when they're most, they're at their most tender. They're so tender this year, you don't even have to cook them. That's, that's like, really the word, right? Tender. There's a tenderness yeah. in the air where it's no longer cold, it's no longer harsh, it's not, not even hot yet. The yes. summer heat does not come. It's this kind of wonderful, sweet time in between where everything is budding and the birds are building their nests. And it's like, it's just sweet. It's tender. And you're saying you can actually taste that in, in the vegetables, something that's usually maybe a little hardier or rougher. Yes. is so tender that if it's, especially if it's just sprouted in your backyard, uh, there's yeah. nothing you need to do to it. Not only that, you get products or greens that you do not see at any other time of year. Green garlic. Mm, uh, spring onion. Yeah, li list, list a few things. You said arugula. What else? Yeah, gr uh, green garlic, uh, broccoli leaves, fava greens, mm. uh, different t dandelions. You're going to get basil that is completely different this time of year than later because later on it starts to bolt. You've got to worry about getting it out before it's too hot. You don't have to do that now. Cilantro's, marjoram, where these very, very tender, smooth little leaves aren't being abused by the weather. Uh -huh. they're, they're actually nurtured by them right now. <laughs> so so it's, it's, it's really the, the very best time. Can you get those in the marketplace, though, if you're not a gardener yourself? Uh, is that actually, yeah. are those products? I mean, I, I know from bean sprouts or, you yeah. know, you do get like really young mixes of, of lettuce mixes. Where would you find something that tender, like really the well, first five days of growth right now? Yeah. I would say definitely the farmer's market. Mm -hmm. This is really one of the, will be the specialty time. Some of the better markets. And again, you can help make this happen by asking yeah. for it. See, many times you, you have uh, retail outlets that are fairly conservative. I'm not, I don't want to bring it in unless I know I can sell it. Sure. So if you start becoming the squeaky wheel, if you will, you will get oiled. So you go, hey, can I get some of these greens? I'd love to get this garlic greens or mosh. Can I get some really young um, arugula? Then they go, okay, I know I can get that. Let me check that out for you. And so again, the relationship with your, with your green grocer will pay off in volumes for you. And then they start to look to you, which is so great. <laughs> what, else, what else would you be liking sure. to have? Well, Earl, and isn't it true that these items you usually see in kind of like the specialty case? There's, isn't there usually like one specialty case of um, produce where they have things that they get in smaller quantities? Well, because, for short amounts because, of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like if you're going to go get pea tendrils, they're not going to have the quantity of pea tendrils go. that yeah. they have of, of dinosaur kale, for example. Yeah, I remember uh, years ago when I was in retail, I used to keep my basil in the back. I wouldn't even bring it out because it would wilt so quickly. Quickly. So many times, some of the stores will do that. They'll keep their most tender stuff in the, in the walk-ins, but not even put on display, because sometimes if they don't have the space, you can't properly display it. Oh, I love that. It's like walking into a restaurant and looking at the menu and saying, actually, I want the, I want the side <laughs> from this dish, and I want the main course of that dish, but with a different <laughs> sauce. And actually, the chef most often doesn't mind doing it. So in Not this case, all. you're opening up an entire world of possibility where yep. what you see in a grocery store or in the produce department is actually not what may be there. If you ask, ah. there might be an entire world hidden that he said, Let, hold on a sec, I'll be right back. And then he might yes. come out with something that is actually not displayed. Many <laughs> times, and when you were saying a, a, a particular special place on the retail rack is true too, see, to where they will have a tray of water, very low, only about an inch, and they will have the greens in there, you know, hydrated, and, and, and uh -huh. stood up however they want to do that. Sure. And then they're only there for a little while, and then and sometimes they don't get replaced. So I think, again, you, you get that kind of status, and that is merely about interacting with that produce person and saying, I'd love to be able to get that, and they get back to you go, I picked that up from the market on Tuesday. It'll be here in the morning for you. Talk about inviting nature in. There mm. you go. 
Yeah, and you inviting opportunities because you said, you know, really the best place right now would be the farmer's market, but that's how you cultivate the desire for it, of course, and then you can ask your grocery store to carry it, please, too. And that would bring business to Earth's Organic Produce. So it's wonderful (laughs) to see how the love for what you do and what you're seeing in your garden right now translates into good business, translates into making this entire world a better place and, and making people more aware of what's possible. It's just wonderful. Thank you for that <laughs> reminder and thank you for celebrating tender, sweet little green tendrils that are popping it's up right now. Time to do it now. Screaming summer or late spring, spring. to us. New <laughs> life. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank, thank you, you Earl, Earl, so much for making the time and um, we already look forward to uh, having you on the show next week. I will see you soon. <laughs> Thanks, see you Earl. Soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Now. Ah, oh. <laughs> sweet, sweet, sweet. That was a celebration of life for an hour from every angle every possible. Angle. <laughs> I know. I mean, to, to wrap up the, the what's in season segment and feel like there was no difference from the what's in season segment to the interview about loving thy nature. I <laughs> Or the garlic check in on how to store sure. garlic and co- people reaching out to us. And You know, there's actually yet one more thing about the film that moved <laughs> me. And that was in the credits because there's just this entire length of credits that is thank yous to people who made the film possible. And I believe it's because they did a Kickstarter campaign and they had a lot of people who contributed in various quantities and in various ways to make this possible. So it's not just the people loving the content, but the people wanting to contribute whatever they can. This was a community project for the people by the people, and of how, the people. And how ironic in a way that Kickstarter, new technology in part, sure. made this film possible. That's exactly the message, it I is. think, that it's, again, it's not back to nature, but forward, forward to nature, using our brilliance and beauty and love as human beings to integrate new developments and technology and anything we really create, art or not, with nature in mind for the betterment of humanity and society. Cheers to that. Cheers to that, yes. (laughs) (laughs) And that's An Organic Conversation. I'm Helga Hilbert. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. This show would not be possible without the ongoing support from our listeners. Whether it's a dollar a month or a one-time donation, please consider becoming a patron of An Organic Conversation. For more information on how to support this program, please visit patreon.com. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash An Organic Conversation. Thank you for your contribution. An Organic Conversation is made possible through listeners like you and the fantastic support of our underwriters. Earl's Organic Produce, a national distributor providing certified organic fruits and vegetables for your store, home, or business since 1988. The website is earlsorganic.com. And also Fry Vineyards, America's first certified organic winery, producing organic and certified biodynamic wine. For more information, frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Thank you as well to Bowman College, focused on holistic nutrition and culinary arts for over 20 years. Bowman College offers professional training programs that prepare individuals for careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Their website is bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash anorganicconversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helber and Sitarani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye. <laughs>